The Hokies and Hoos took a trip down to the Triangle and took beatings from North Carolina and Duke. Are we headed for lost seasons for Virginia Tech and UVA? And might the best team in the Commonwealth not even play in the ACC? We'll talk about all that and get some betting tips from Mike Svetitz of Front Page Bets this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome to episode 91 of Peel and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me as always, my co-host, the 14-time sports writer of the year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. David, how are you, my friend? Good afternoon. Back at our normal uh, recording time. Closer, at least. Closer, at least. At least we're on the right day. And uh, I know you've got some uh, some weather-related issues you're dealing dealing with over there. How, how is everything uh, in your neck of the woods following some substantial rain and wind uh, really throughout the state, I guess? Yeah, we had some serious tidal flooding here in uh, Hampton Roads Friday, Saturday, you know, really the whole weekend. <laughs> And it continued today. We're we're getting the remnants of a nor'easter now after getting remnants of Ian. So it's kind of a back-to-back gut punch. But um, hopefully we can get school back in person tomorrow. Yeah, it's interesting when you when you told me that your daughter was going to be doing the virtual school thing because of some flooding issues. I thought like, well, you know, maybe that's one of the good things that came out of the whole pandemic is we're a little bit more prepared to, to make that move, right? I mean, I feel like, 10 years ago, they probably just say school's closed and you're going to lose a holiday or go deeper into the summer. And um, not that not that any parent <laughs> wants to be virtual for any extended period of time, but uh, it is a good way to, to avoid losing a school day and uh, kind of still get through, still get something out of it. It is. And uh, we're, we're, we're fortunate that way. Most of the school systems in the area just scrubbed today, but... Mm. Not here. We're like we're we're doing half days. We're 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 going to give you some assignments and keep you engaged. No, like I said, you'll be happy at the end of the year when they're not tacking those days on. I always remember that was the big trade-off when we would be little kids and we'd wake up in the winter rooting for a snow day. And my mom would always remember, hey, if you get the snow day here, you're going to have to make it up somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So, well, no, no snow in the forecast right now. It looks like we're going to get a break from the rain as well. So uh, that's all good. That's all better. Uh, not as much rain, David, as we thought down in the Triangle uh, this weekend, where we both headed for games. You had Virginia Tech, North Carolina. I had Virginia Duke. We spent a lot of time talking to the coaches and players this week about you know preparing for potentially really, really bad weather, and, and it ended, ended up being kind of just wet, standard, rainy days. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the field in Chapel Hill was in remarkably good condition, very little slippage. And, you know, nobody had to pull out the umbrellas or anything. Yeah, there was some mist, but otherwise, um, decent conditions. Yeah, we got we got a little more rain in, in Durham, but uh, not much and, and not enough to make a difference. And, and the reason we mentioned that, because both teams played horribly and you can't blame it on the weather. <laughs> this this no. wasn't a weekend that you just throw away. You say, wow, the conditions, it, it was standard, normal football, slightly rainy conditions. And yet, especially, you know, I'll start with your game, you know, for the second week in a row, Virginia Tech just looked not very good. The offense was bad. The defense was overwhelmed. David, what did you see in, in a matchup that really was not much of a contest with North Carolina? It was not. 41-10 final. The Hokies' second consecutive loss by at least three scores. And Mike, coupled with the West Virginia game, this is the first time since 1989, Frank Beamer's third season as coach, that the Hokies have scored 10 points or less in consecutive games. Uh, the offense is just lost. Uh, they can't run the football worth a darn, and the passing game is little better. Grant Wells doesn't have much of a receiving core to throw to. And it shows. Yeah. And, and you know, when, when Brent Pry and, and all that staff, when they talk about 
getting back to some of the stuff that was done under Frank Beamer. <laughs> they weren't looking at that year and they weren't looking, you know, at, at the early Frank years. I think they're right. talking about some of the success. Now, David, you wrote about in your column, just the, the, essentially the dearth of talent at the skill positions. And, you know, you referenced the fact that you put some of that on, on the previous staff, obviously, sure. you know, what was left behind talent wise. Uh, but it's on this staff to find a way to win with what they have. And, and right now, David, what are you seeing in terms of tech trying to scheme around the fact that, no, they don't have a particularly talented group of skill players? Well, I haven't seen a whole lot of innovation or creativity from yeah. Tyler Bowen, the new offensive coordinator. There was one series there in the second quarter, Mike, where it was third and eight in the red zone and they they ran read option and it went nowhere and lo and behold on fourth and seven they convert and end up scoring a touchdown and and they converted with a pass by the way but the, the third and eight call i was like what are you doing yeah i, I remember watching that sequence and, and i mean the only thought in my head is they had already committed to it being four down territory and so maybe on third you're trying to make it more convertible. But I, I thought the same thing. I, it, it just, and we said this with West Virginia, we said, and we'll say it today with Carolina there, they have players who it just seems like if you get the ball into their hands, they can make something happen. Um, make a guy miss turn into tech doesn't have that. And I think mm-hmm. you're going to need to see a, a little more aggressive play calling and a little more, like you mentioned, uh, innovative. You're, you're going to have to, they're going to have to steal some big plays because I don't think you have the players to manufacture them. They are, and Brent Pryor referenced that post-game, kind of contrasting what Carolina was able to do. There was a fourth, and I believe it was seven, that the Tar Heels converted in plus territory. When Drake May gets flushed, and C.J. McRae and Taiwan Garbutt are bearing down on him, and he just throws off his back foot and heaves it. And it's a total prayer. But Josh Downs went up and made a play against Shamari Connor. The ball was underthrown. He contorted himself, came back, and made a play. And as Brent Pry accurately said, we're not making those plays, and we need to. Sometimes you just need somebody to create essentially chicken salad out of you know, <laughs> the other stuff, the other the stuff. Other stuff. <laughs> and the Hokies haven't been doing that and they sure could use it. Yeah. Now the Hokies right now respectfully have, have a lot of the other stuff <laughs> uh, and, and, and not a lot of anything edible. The defense, David, second week in a row that the defense essentially got blasted, that, that um, wore down and, and big plays. And as you mentioned, you know, 50, 50 balls that the other team is winning. Um, we both came into this year thinking that this team would be carried by its defense, would go as far as their defense could take them. Uh, is this as far as the defense can take them, or, or is this group going to rebound? I think they'll rebound some, Mike. First of all, Drake May mm-hmm. is really good. You know, you, you think about all the quarterbacks who returned in this league, and through five weeks, this redshirt freshman, who, by the way, originally committed to Alabama, and had offers from everyone in college football royalty. This kid is a baller. He's, he's thrown nine touchdown passes in one pick. I mean, how much better can you get? And he's got some dudes to throw it to, especially oh, yeah. Josh Downs. And now Antoine Green's healthy. And they're using the tight end. They're just really good on offense. Now, where they're terrible or where they had been terrible is defensively, mm-hmm. which makes Virginia Tech's offensive failings on Saturday even more pronounced. And you know, the Tar Heels were stopping no one. But Virginia Tech averaged fewer yards per play against Carolina than Florida A&M did in the season opener. And Florida A&M was decimated by eligibility problems right. when they played that game to the point where it was almost not played. Now, I I apologize for rambling back to your original question about Tech's defense. They were depleted as well on Saturday, especially at corner, where Dorian Strong did not play again. He's got a hand issue. And then, excuse me, Connor got nicked up. So they end up with two true freshmen 
at cornerback against that passing game, that's not where you want to be. That's it's funny. It's the second week in a row that you saw because Clemson, Wake Forest, and Clemson had to play mm-hmm. some inexperienced kids in the secondary. And uh, but but you know there still needs to be. And, and you referenced the play where I, I thought Garbutt and McCray were, were going to have May mm-hmm. um, when he completed that pass. And, and and are we seeing the other levels of the defense still playing well and they're just getting beaten in the secondary? Or, or are there problems at all three levels now? Because it seems to me that when you're when you're giving up uh, what they've given up the last two weeks. It, it isn't just one position getting nicked up or having a rough day. No, I think it's across the board. Case in point, they didn't have a sack Saturday. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're going to have to help your secondary out and get some sacks. They didn't get any. Yeah, this defense needs that. And uh, I, I still, I think you and I both still feel like they've got the pieces and they'll be okay on that side of the ball. But the thing we hear so much right now, David, in the last couple of years is complimentary football, Yes. right? Complimentary football. It's the offense helping the defense, the defense helping the, the offense, the special teams controlling field position. And right now it feels like Tech's offense is so bad that it is impacting the defense, right? I mean, the defense is on the field too much. They're not deep enough to, to sustain that. Uh, maybe part of the reason that you're seeing guys getting nicked up this early in the year Um are we to the point where Texas defense is, is so bad that it's uh, Texas offense is so bad that it's sabotaging the defense? You can make that case. It's it's, it's certainly not complimenting <laughs> you know. the, the defense, and and nor are, are the special teams. They're not getting great field position in the return game. They're not creating turnovers. You know that they, they didn't create any turnovers. Yeah. On, on on Saturday, that's a problem because with the limited potential on offense you need to get some breaks and and some field position and get that offense in plus territory to start a drive but that again that did not happen on saturday yeah i think i think you're right that what they're going to ask of the defense isn't just to keep them in games but to make some plays that, that help win games same for the special teams one thing they don't seem to be looking at is a change at the quarterback position. And, and fans, yeah. that's what they always want, right? Mm-hmm. The backup quarterback's always the most popular player in the program. And Tech fans didn't learn from uh, the year that they spent wanting Logan Thomas replaced. And then they got to the Sun Bowl and Mark Leal goes in and, and does the other stuff to make chicken salad <laughs> for the field there, the Sun Bowl. Uh, Jason Brown played a couple series in the fourth quarter, but speaking to you, speaking to Aaron McFarling, that sounded more like a, a wave in the white surrender flag than any kind of trying to get a spark. Brent Price said after the game that he remains committed to Grant Wells uh, as the starter. It seems like the right call, David, based on what they have, and, and Wells certainly hasn't been the only problem, but Wells has not been the solution either. He is not, and he threw a bad pick on Saturday, that, and the Char Heels immediately pounced. Yeah, you know, they were they were there inside. I think the twenty five, and immediately scored a touchdown. So that 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 put Tech in a deeper hole. And this team, as we just talked about, is not built to climb out of shallow, let alone deep abyss. So uh, that's problem. They they need Wells to be cleaner uh, in the passing game for. Uh, for, for this, you know, for the entire operation to be, you know, to use your word, complimentary. Yeah, they've taken some deep shots, especially early in the games that have been there and, and Wells hasn't connected. And I know that does good things in terms of keeping the defense honest. But I think if you're really going to keep anybody honest, you need to start connecting on, on some of those. And um, there have been some times that Caleb Smith, you know, has gotten behind the defense. Wells has taken that shot and just not been able to be on target enough. Um, I think they need that. Now they they go to Pittsburgh, who Ooh. I can't figure out, man, because I what I've been on the Pittsburgh. There? I've been on the pit train all year. I, I think I thought they were going to be you know easily the class of the coastal, maybe rival Clemson. They go out and, and lose to Georgia Tech, a Georgia Tech team, you know, a week removed from firing its coach, playing for an interim. Uh, so hard to know what to make of Pitt, and yet. Vegas has a good idea because they installed Pitt as an over two touchdown favorite uh, in this game. David, what do you make of this matchup? I know it's tough to go to Pittsburgh and play, and but these games have generally been physical, competitive games between Pitt and Virginia Tech. Are we really going to look at, at another blowout? Well, the last few games between these two programs have been just that. 
beatdowns, um, both sides. You know, Hokie sides, fans right. will remember Bud Foster's last game at home as defensive coordinator when when Tech shut out Pitt. I believe it was twenty eight nil. But the last couple visits to Heinz Field for Virginia Tech have been but ugly. And, you know, I don't understand for the life of me how the Panthers lost to Georgia Tech on on Saturday night. They're 21-point favorites, and Georgia Tech's been a mess. They fired Jeff Collins. Stahl Brent Key is uh, interim, and Pitt can't move the ball in large part because they turned it over three times in the third quarter. Izzy Abanacanda, who's their best running back, he gets hurt. Davis goes in, fumbles it away twice. Keaton Slovis throws a pick. Next thing you know, they're in a dogfight. They give up some plays to to Jeff Sims and George Deck, and they, and they lose. it. Even as ACC champions last year, the Panthers managed to lose at home to Western Michigan. <laughs> And here they go again with, a- with the absolute head-scratching losses. And, and you'll remember that was always the knock on Justin Fuente. Right. You know, they, Virginia Tech would, would just – they'd come up small in the strangest of moments. You know, at Old Dominion when, when they lost there and at home to Georgia Tech when they had a chance to clinch the Coastal. Home to Liberty. 2016. You know, just just bizarre moments, and that was one Saturday in Pittsburgh. When you think about the schedule, you think about the stretch, what's coming, it feels like this season could be slipping away for Virginia Tech. Not that either of us thought they were going to be in the college football playoff, but in terms of getting the six, seven wins, being a bowl team, just some of the benchmarks that seemed possible in the preseason, it feels like it's slipping away and that this is a sort of pivotal moment here. Do, do you get that vibe? Next two weeks are, are to me, Mike, uh, at Pitt this week and then home to Miami the following week. And heaven knows what you're getting from, from the Hurricanes after that loss to, to, to Middle Tennessee State at home. Uh, the Canes were off last week and get Carolina this week. Very curious to see how that plays out. But if the Hokies don't get either of the next two, and then they're going to NC State on a Thursday night, and I know the Wolfpack just lost at Clemson, and they're disappointed about that. But if if Virginia Tech can't move the ball against Carolina, they're not going to move the ball against NC State. Right. Because that defense is legit. So you lose the next two – then you lose to NC State, you're two and six, and you got to win the last four to get bowl eligible. And from what we've seen, this team isn't remotely consistent enough to reel off four in a row. I don't care if the opponents include Duke and Georgia Tech. Yeah, this always felt like a potentially uh, devastating stretch of the schedule. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it was what kind of shape did you go into it? At? You just wanted to go into this stretch feeling good enough that you could get a couple. And then come out of it feeling like, okay, you're in striking distance. And, and again, I, I don't know that this was a bowl team coming into the year. I thought they'd be right on the cusp. Um, so maybe they're, they're right in some ways where we thought. But the fact that they haven't been competitive the past two weeks uh, as they're going through this stretch is what's just really a little bit terrifying, I think, if you're a Virginia Tech fan. Now, plenty to be terrified of if you're a Virginia fan as well. Virginia went down to Duke for a Saturday night game. The Hoos have just straight dominated Duke. I mean, seven straight wins. Uh, the Blue Devils seem to give the ball away like it's a Christmas gift every time Virginia is playing them. Um, and yet this game, Duke dominated this one from start to finish, took a 21 nothing lead. Um, this one was really, David, never in doubt. Um Stunning to me, not that we went into it thinking that Virginia was particularly good, but to be dominated like that by Duke, um, I was really surprised. So was I. I mean, I thought they would win. Mm -hmm. I know they were slight underdogs and I wasn't aware of the score because I, you know, I was busy on deadline in Chapel Hill and I I got a text from Jill and and it said, quote, UVA sucks too, because, 
because she had she had commented similarly about the Hokies during the Carolina game. And I was like, what is she talking about? And I looked at the score and it was 21 nothing. And I'm like, yeah. OMG. Yep. You know, how does that happen? And then I went back and I'm I, I DVR'd the game and I'm looking at the play by play and you know, all the you know, block punch, you fumble a kickoff return, you know, it went south in a hurry. And I, I guess what surprised me the most is just when you were seeing progress from the defense, they go and give up 200. And I mean, they, and they completely smothered Sean Tucker up at the carrier dome, right? Sean Tucker, best running back in the ACC. And it's not even close. And Duke just bludgeons them for 248 yards. And it would have been more except that 248 counts that botched field goal that Duke had that cost them what? 12 or 15 yards in uh, in lost rushing yardage. No, you're completely right. And, and you know, be, being there, if you had taken the logos off the helmet, it, it would have felt like the losing team was playing maybe Clemson. I mean, it, it, it was that big a disparity. It, it was 21 nothing in, in, in all different ways. Um, the 19-yard touchdown pass that got things started. Now, that drive, <laughs> that drive is aided by a pair of 15-yard penalties. penalties. Um, and Tony Elliott, and this is what I'm writing about today, but Tony Elliott mentioned afterward, he's to the point where he's going to start not playing guys, benching guys who get those penalties, because he said, it feels like it's a lot of the same people over and over getting those flags. And, and in this case, it was Aaron Famui and Ben Smiley, back-to-back 15-yard penalties. It's a 72-yard drive, David. 30 of those yards come on back-to-back plays on penalties. Mm-hmm. Uh then the touchdown, Lex Long kind of falls for a, a double move, uh, goes down, and, and, and they get the 19-yard the score, uh, Riley Leonard to Calhoun. Riley Leonard was very good in this game and has been very good this year. Mm-hmm. It's been fascinating, the jump that he's made. Um, he's been able to take yards with his legs when they're there, incredibly accurate with his passing. Uh, but Virginia's defense didn't do anything. Then on the flip side, and we're getting used to saying this, their offense didn't do anything. And I think what was particularly disheartening was that their offensive line played the best game they've played. Now, Duke is not particularly formidable up front. Uh, Virginia's offensive line, they really gave Armstrong time to throw. Now, they had some trouble with the D-lines kind of jumping up and batting down passes. Exactly. I counted five of those, (laughs) which is interesting because, you know, Armstrong hasn't had that problem in his career. And uh, maybe when you let guys get to him, they're less likely to do it. But Virginia was keeping Duke off him and, and Duke was getting some of those deflections. But you can't pin this one on the line. The coaches said Armstrong had his best week of practice and, and played a better game than he's played in this new offense. But just nothing there. Nothing there offensively. No spark, no life, and uh, and really not competitive. Well, here's a crazy thing, Mike. As much as we spent the first segment banging on Virginia Tech's offense, Virginia Tech's averaging fewer points a game than – excuse me, Virginia is averaging fewer points a game, barely by point two. <laughs> Than, than Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech is 117th nationally in scoring. That's among 131 teams, by the way. Hokies at 18.2 a game. UVA is one behind them, 118th at 18.0. Yeah. You know, that 118th, in effect, doesn't – they both stink offensively. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's staggering um, yeah. when you consider what UVA brought back. Yes. Um, it was another day where it felt, David, like when they fell behind and let Armstrong kind of just cut loose – they had their best plays, but it also, the mistakes are what this team came away really stung by. And, you know, Dameek Starling had a kick return that looked like it was going to get them back in the game. Um, fumbles. 30 and he hurdles a guy and he's in the air untouched and he drops the ball for the fumble. Um, that was a devastating moment for this team. The penalties were devastating. You mentioned some of the other mistakes. I think there's a sense from this team that they feel like if they could clean up their errors, that they're playing well enough to win. Now, after watching that defense get demolished by Duke, I don't know if that's true anymore, but it certainly wouldn't hurt <laughs> to clean up some of that mess. No, it, it would not. And uh, it, it again, in comparing Virginia Tech in Virginia, it's so striking how the, the issues are similar. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in, in Virginia Tech's first two losses, the Hokies committed 15 penalties against Old Dominion. And 15 against West Virginia. And now what are we talking about after Virginia's loss at Duke? Penalties. 
and it, and some crippling turnovers. And Mike, I was I was struck. I was I was reading your stuff and Greg Medea's stuff from the game, talking about you know t- Tony Elliott and Des Kitchings praising Armstrong for his, <laughs> his best game so far. Mike, you look at his completion percentage. That would have been his worst ever coming into this season. And all of a sudden, that that's his best. I, I get wanting to to positive spin things and be encouraging, but I'm sorry, I hold Brennan Armstrong to a higher standard because of what he's produced before, and rightfully so. And you know who holds Brennan Armstrong to an even higher standard yes, is Brennan, Brennan Armstrong. Armstrong. And yes. you know, to his credit, he he's been great with us and, and facing the music. But I mean, that guy is frustrated. Um, he wants it to be clicking, and and yeah. it isn't just on Brennan. They had more drop passes in, in this game, um, and there's just clearly timing off. Uh, but yeah, they they need him to be better, and they need him to be better faster. Uh, and Des Kitchens came out and said, "Hey, there's growth, there's progress. It's just not happening as fast as we want." Uh, guys, you're you're in week five of the season, uh, going into your sixth game. It it better click soon. Or just like we just talked about with Tech, we're getting to the point where it feels like this season could be slipping away. Now, Louisville comes to UVA this week, David. Louisville is in no good position itself. Uh, Satterfield, to me, is the coach on the hot seat uh, now that Collins has has cleared that seat off for him. Uh, They just lost to Boston College and all of the problems that Boston College has. And David, Louisville comes to UVA as a four and a half point favorite in this game. It tells you what Vegas thinks about the Cavaliers right now. This, to me, is an absolute must-win if you're Virginia. Oh, 100%. The Cardinals are 0-3 in the league. Satterfield, as as you mentioned, is a coach in, in, in serious trouble and, and maybe the only thing that has saved him from a, a mid-season dismissal is the institution's transition to a new president they, they have they have yet to figure that piece out so who's calling the shots there they have a new ad so it's a it's a very peculiar situation there are they still paying chris mack oh yeah so, oh, so there could cool. be a financial component there, uh, there, involved too <laughs> there there might be is malik cunningham healthy mm-hmm. You know, he he went out uh, Saturday uh, up in Boston. The the defense. I mean, Jerkovic's completion percentage for BC on Saturday was what? And was it at eighty? You know, s- somewhere along there. And Zay Flowers was averaging thirty yards a reception, and it was not good on the defensive side for for the Cardinals. And and. Just as we talked about with Virginia Tech needing to get health get healthy on on the win ledger, Virginia Tech or Virginia needs to win these next two. Yeah. Yep. I mean Louisville at home, and then the next one is at Georgia Tech, right? That is correct for the Thursday night game. And yeah. Uh, again, just like the stretch we talked about with Tech, these two and Syracuse and Duke. I mean, we looked at the schedule; it was pretty clear how it's shaped up, right? You had Richmond, you had ODU, you had Syracuse, and you had Duke and Louisville and Georgia Tech. Um, I'm, I'm Illinois. I, I think more and more you're understanding the loss there. Right. But those first games in that early part really set them up for early season success. And now here comes the stretch. Now, albeit this is at home, but they play Miami, North Carolina, and Pittsburgh all at home. You thought there was a chance, and by you, I, I mean me and fans and lots of people thought there was a chance that they could be six and one five and one yeah right coming into this stretch and and then again playing at home even if you lose all three but you hope with some momentum that you get maybe one maybe two miami's been all over the map carolina's been terrible defensively pitt found a way to lose to georgia tech um you just felt like this schedule shaped up so beautifully and now here you come with certainly the illinois loss but again i think that's excusable the syracuse and the duke losses You've absolutely got to win Louisville and Georgia Tech, one, to put yourself in position to still make a bowl game, and two, to go into that tough stretch with any kind of positive feeling. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And you know, I <laughs> Vegas knows, but how, how Louisville is a favorite coming on the road after <laughs> what we saw in, in Boston last week. 
is is unfathomable to me. But as I said to you last night when we were yep. texting, maybe Vegas knows that Cunningham's fine and he's definitely playing, which would help. Yeah, and, and you know we'll get into some of this with, with Mike Svetitz from Front Page Bets coming up here in a minute. But uh, you know, how many points do you have to? to give me before I feel comfortable taking Virginia. Mm -hmm. So some of this might be trying to drive some action on this game because you, you, you have to make a pretty sweet offer for me right now before I feel good taking Virginia, but certainly, yeah, Louisville, uh, a mess too. And, uh, somebody's got to, got to get right. Right. And, and that's, that's one of the things that's always interesting about games between scuffling teams is, is somebody has got to find a way to get right. And in Virginia, uh, if it's going to be them, it's got to be all sides of the ball. Right, no more mistakes on special teams. The offense has got to start clicking, and the defense has to look more like. Hey, I mean, the defense kept them in the game against Illinois, ODU, Syracuse, and the defense did not do that against Duke. Mike, what are the odds if I'd have told you in preseason that Louisville and Virginia would enter this game a combined zero and five in the ACC? Right, just especially when you think about their schedule. Yeah. Right. Think about the teams that, like Louisville hasn't faced murderers row. No. <laughs> right. Syracuse and Boston College, right, are two of the losses there. Yes. Uh, no, it, it is it is staggeringly disappointing for both of these teams how little hay they've made in the first part of their schedule when both of them face uh, backloaded or middle loaded. Things are going to get a lot harder for these teams uh, and they have not just gotten gotten the job done up until this point. Well, we're joined now by Mike Sveditz, general manager of Front Page Bets. He joins us every week to point us in the right direction here with some of these point spreads, these over-unders. Mike, how did you fare this past weekend? Uh, well, we're, it's still to be determined, but uh, top 10 in college picks did pretty well uh, straight up. Uh, against the spread, though, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. I mean, when you, have, when you have teams giving up, you know, 30, 40 points, you know, against the spread is hard. It's hard to predict, but I will say, I will say I did have Alabama and Arkansas, but I didn't, and and I had Clemson covering, but other than that, I don't know. Wasn't wasn't great, Mike. Wasn't great. To be, to be fair, uh, it's been pretty hard to predict even the top 10 in college football this year anyway. So that that about makes sense. It's getting, I want to say this respectfully, it's getting easier to predict Virginia and Virginia Tech because they're not very good and they just lose. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that's that's about as respectful as you can be, but I, I, I was I was trying to be as nice as I could there. <laughs> and I say that because what I want to bring up is the fact that Vegas as they're want to do has taken notice. Louisville who has not been very good and just got beat by a not very good Boston College team is going to Virginia this weekend right. and they're a four and a half point favorite, Mike. I thought that game was a push. What do you make? I mean, has Vegas just lost, understandably, all faith in the Cavaliers? Well, I mean, again, until you can win and win consistently and until you can show that you're going to score points, um, you know, they're going to take the teams that are hot. They're going to take the teams that they think that can, that can, uh, you know, obviously win money. But then you got also got to look at, at, you know, what people are going to bet on. And if you're thinking what's going to really move the needle, Virginia at home as four and a half point underdogs, you might see a lot of action on Virginia just because, again, like you said, they're at home. Louisville's not very good. Virginia's not very good. But you figure, okay, the home team, we've talked about it all year, at least three points, maybe two and a half points. Maybe they're trying to get some action. You might see that line, depending on how many people bet for Virginia, it might move. It might not. But again, Virginia is not a team that instills a lot of confidence. Louisville has been a surprise. Virginia has been a disappointment. And when you're going five, six games in the season now, okay, are you going to go with the team that's a surprise and maybe on the upswing? Are you, or, or are you going to go with the team that's been a disappointment and it seems like it keeps you know falling behind every week, week after week after week, you know, losing to Duke like the way they did last night, um, you know, obviously going on the road to Syracuse in that heartbreaking game there, you know, they need a last second kick against ODU. They get beat at Illinois. Uh, It's just this, this UVA team, it's hard to predict, but I would think until they can show they can win and win consistently, you got to say, Hey, Louisville's on the upswing. They're two and three. Nobody thought they would be Virginia's two and three people. I thought they would probably be four and one at this point, you know, probably losing to Illinois was probably the only loss. I think I have, I have to go back and look at, at, you know, our future stories that we wrote earlier in the summer, but you know, 
you, you, you're looking at this offense, you're looking at this defense, you're looking at Tony Elliott's first year and saying, what, what's going on in Charlottesville? And they're one and or sorry, they're Oh, and four against the spread. They have not won a game again. Or, I'm sorry. They're one and four against the spread. They're Oh, and four. They have not hit an over at all. They push with Duke at 55. Um, you know, this team is not looking very good, especially when it comes to the trends, when you talk about sports betting. So four and a half dog to Louisville at home, you might see a lot of action on that game, though. Yeah, Vegas, you're gonna have to give me a few more points before I before I would put any money on this <laughs> no team. Doubt. And then at the same time, and and you know, this is an interesting one because Virginia Tech and, and Pittsburgh generally play um, tough, physical, competitive games. Certainly, there have been some outliers, but for the most part, this this has been a, a tough series. Virginia Tech looked terrible. I'm not denying that at, at Carolina, but Pittsburgh just lost to a Georgia Tech team that fired its coach. Yeah. Was playing for an interim coach. Pittsburgh is a two touchdown favorite at home over the Hokies. I, I, not that I thought the Hokies should be the favorite, and, and I think Pitt uh, will win this game comfortably. But 14, 14 and a half, depending on where you look, Mike. That seemed big to me. That that, that is big. And is this the Pittsburgh that's going to show that showed up in the beginning of the season against West Virginia, West Virginia, and gave them all they wanted, or is this the Pittsburgh team, like you said, that just you know tripped all over itself this past weekend? Who's going to show up? I think at this point, I'm, I'm going to channel Danny Green here. They are who we thought they were when it comes to Virginia Tech. I mean, I, I, I don't know how you can have a team that even at this level, um, you know, in Virginia Tech, a proud program. I know, you know, Brent Prize rebuilding that, their defense, but even their defense this past week against UNC. Now, UNC can put up some points. Don't get me wrong, but their offense is just, you know, the Hokies offense is struggling ridiculously bad. They can't cover. They can't. They can't, you know, they can't defend. They can't, they can't stop the run. They're under every game they've played. They're 0 and 5. Um, you know, they haven't hit an over yet. They're 1 and 4 against the spread. The only time they've covered was against Boston College in week two. Um, and they're getting, you know, they're setting historic marks in the wrong way, giving up 33 to West Virginia, giving up 41 to UNC, only scoring 10 points. What is that first time? And what did you guys write about UNT? What did you guys write about the first time? And how long since they've had, they haven't scored more than 10 points in back-to-back games, back-to-back games. Yeah. It's, you know, it's bad. It's bad. It's really bad. And, and again, we knew it was going to be a rebuilding year. We knew that, you know, and obviously defense comes a little bit, you know, more has the progression is faster than the offense, but man, Virginia Tech's got to figure something out. And Pittsburgh, again, what team's going to show up for both of them? But you can't, you cannot make Virginia Tech even close to being a touchdown favorite the way they're playing, regardless. And so I think that 14 might be a little steep. 14 and a half might be a little steep. They might cover. This might be one of the first, you know, the second game that they cover. They will not win this game, though, if they can't figure something out in the next six days. Yeah, you know, I was joking about four and a half. You're gonna have to give me more to get me to bet on UVA. Fourteen and a half. That's a lot. <laughs> you, you might, you might get me to put money on the Hokies at fourteen. But even no then, it's not a slam dunk. Now, another game that, that to me is uh, almost a toss up. It's gonna be fascinating. It's gonna be the third straight week, Mike, that we get really a great matchup in the ACC's Atlantic Division. Right. We got the Atlantic Division and the the, the crappy division, the, the coastal, <laughs> the coastal chaos. And, uh, but I mean, I, you know, the four best teams in the ACC to me are the top of the uh, Atlantic. And, and right now, NC State, Florida State, they're both coming off losses. NC State, you know, the heartbreaking loss, the game of, of the program, you know, they're at Clemson. Uh, so much hype in that. They put so much into that. Uh, weren't able to, to really uh, challenge the Tigers. Florida State uh, losing to Wake Forest and, and just kind of classic Sam Hartman and, and what yeah. he was able to do. Um, now, both of these teams are in a position needing to, to bounce back. Both of them, I think, are, are the real deal. Both of them, I think, are really good. NC State's a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, what do you like in this one? I, you know, I like the Wolfpack. I, I always have. I think that they're, you know, going into the season, 17 returning starters, quarterback that has been there and, and setting records. Um, you know, even when you're challenging guys like Phillip Rivers, you know, for for career records, um, you know, you're, you're, you're doing something. And I think that, you know, the problem with NC State is they haven't been here before. They haven't been here consistently. Florida State, the culture has 
gone under, you know, they've been here before, but not in a long time. And they're, they're starting to try to rebuild some of their culture. I like the Wolfpack. I like the fact that I think they're going to rebound after that tough loss, you know, to Clemson. They played them tough. You know, they're at home. They're three and zero at home. Um, you know, they're, they're playing very well um, in games that they should. You know, they haven't had a letdown, maybe against ECU in the beginning of the year, but we're still trying to figure that out. I think, and I think Florida State is still, there's there's just too many question marks. Are they really back? Are they for real, for real? Um, I think North Carolina State is. And I tell you what, Clemson, though, showed me something. I think that's, I think that's the team to really watch out as they get more confidence and they, and they build. NC State, it's unfortunate that they, that they played Clemson you know, at that point in the season, because I think Clemson really found something out against Wake Forest. And now, you know, NC State got the brunt of that. But I don't think Florida State is is who we think they are at this point. I think NC State takes this one. Yeah, it it did feel almost like a shame. I I mentioned this three weeks in a row with these great matchups. Boy, that would have been a a heck of a way to end the year Mm -hmm. in the Atlantic Division once everybody's got their feet under them. But, uh, you know, you make a good point about the Wolfpack. It is a veteran team. And and again, I I don't mean this in a mocking or derisive way, but, you know, they've lived the disappointment of not getting over the (laughs) the hump with Clemson and still having, you know, other things to play for. So, um yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on on the no Wolfpack. I think I, I think both those teams go on to have a a great year. I hope you go on to have a great weekend with these picks, and I appreciate you uh, joining us. All right, thanks, Mike. Appreciate it, Bob. All right, well, David, let's take a quick look around the Commonwealth. I know this is a ACC sports podcast, but we cover Virginia, we cover Virginia Tech, and it's hard not to notice that we're not covering. I don't think the best teams in the Commonwealth right now. <laughs> we are uh, not. JMU is receiving votes in the AP poll. I'm a voter. I had the Dukes at, at, at number 25. Uh, they're undefeated. Uh, there's got to be a merit component to that poll. And uh, right now, JMU merits that attention more than, than some other more established, big-time, talented programs. Uh, Liberty beat Old Dominion. They're 4-1 and one now. Old Dominion's already beaten Virginia Tech and played a tight game with UVA. So, David, as you look at it, and, and we still got some opportunities to, to sort this out on the field, but uh, who's the best team in Virginia? Oh, it's not even close. <laughs> it really, really isn't. Not to shill from my alma mater or anything, but JMU is one of 16 FBS teams that are undefeated. The Dukes are top 15 in every major defensive statistical category that you can imagine. They've won at Appalachian State. They've beaten Middle Tennessee State, which, by the way, Miami could not. And other than the Appalachian State game on the road, this is a team that hasn't even been challenged yet. They have been dominant. So to me, it's not remotely debatable who through five weeks, based purely on merit, on the field, JMU has been the best team in the state, and Liberty is next at, at four and one. You, know, you, you mentioned their game at, at Old Dominion on, on Saturday. They won by two touchdowns. And Mike Liberty's a two point conversion at Wake Forest nice. with 71 seconds left from perhaps being five and oh. Yeah. And if they were five and oh with a win over Wake, they would be comfortably in my top 25 ballot. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's, it is, uh, it is a bit remarkable. I was talking to my friend, uh, Dustin Dopirak, who uh, used to cover JMU basketball with me in in Harrisonburg and now covers Indiana. He's also a top 25 voter. I said to him, you know, it's kind of wild. I said, I've got JMU at number 25 in my AP ballot and I've got Virginia and Virginia tech. I was debating at the moment, which one would be at the bottom of our ACC power pole. So it it is, it is a a crazy world we live in. Um, Now, again, there are still opportunities for this to to work itself out. Virginia plays Virginia tech. Um, Liberty has a game with Virginia tech, I believe. Yes. Oh, Liberty schedule. Now my, the, the, the flames are four and one. They should be bowl eligible. After their next two games, they they get UMass and Gardner Webb, and then it gets real. Yep, yeah. Because we'll, then, we'll... then BYU comes to town, and then the Flames go to Arkansas. Yeah, we're going to know a lot about Liberty, uh, and I like that. Right, they, they are an independent; they they're not bound by any conference schedule. Um, 
We think they're pretty good. I think the Wake game shows that they, they can compete at a really high level, but we're not going to come out of the year. It's not going to be one of these teams that is 10 and 1, 10 and 2, and you're, you're questioning how good they were. We're going to know when, when the season's done uh, if Liberty was the real deal or not. And, uh, but it's a, it's, it's a fun year in the Commonwealth. You just wish that the flag bearers, right, that Virginia and Virginia Tech were part of this conversation. Right? How how cool would it be if Virginia was good, Virginia Tech was good, JMU, Liberty, ODU's been better than expected? You can have all of that at the same mm-hmm. time, uh, but but we we can't have nice things as the, as the kids say. So <laughs> we've got JMU and Liberty doing great, ODU maybe better than expected, uh, and Tech and UVA just in the in the absolute toilet in an ACC that I think is pretty tough. And David, let, let's let's take a look around that that ACC. It's the first week of October, and we've already had the ACC Super Bowl, for, for lack of a better term, uh, Clemson, NC State. We've had a run of games here in the Atlantic Division, of course, because the Coastal's so bad, but uh, matchups here between Clemson and State and Wake and Florida State kind of all beating each other up. And uh, all said and done, Clemson still looks like the uh, they're still the one. It, they they really do, and um, I thought Saturday night at home against NC State, great atmosphere, and that was as good as Clemson has has looked since 2020. I mean, I was really impressed how they just smothered NC State defensively. DJ Uyungle, second consecutive game was so good, so efficient. You know, moved the ball with his with his legs, had a couple nice touchdown runs. The one off a ball fake was so so effective, and he just he walked in, and you know, Clemson was clearly the the best team. And you couple that with the win the previous week at Wake. And, and now the Tigers have tiebreakers over the pack and the Deacons, you know, still have to play Syracuse, which is unbeaten, still has to play Florida State, uh, which is obviously much better in year three under Mike Nor- Norvell. But how about Wake going in to Tallahassee a week after being just gutted and disappointed by that double overtime loss at home to Clemson and just putting that out in the rearview mirror and going into Tallahassee and winning. I just think that speaks volumes for Dave Clawson, that program, Sam Hartman, the defense, all of it. So impressed. Yeah. And now that's NC state's task. And, um, I'm curious, though, David. Maybe maybe it helps that that all of these Atlantic Division up and coming rivals, uh, I and mean, they're kind of used to right living with the disappointment of not getting it done against Clemson. So right. maybe they have some 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 preparation there. David, what is what is the name of the Clemson quarterback again? DJ Uyunglele. Ah, oh, you're so good at that. I'll tell you what what has been uh, and maybe an unfair criticism of Tony Elliott at UVA, but some UVA fans are starting to point to the fact that Tony leaves Clemson. And all of a sudden, DJU looks like the quarterback everybody hoped he could be. Tony gets to UVA, and all of a sudden, Brennan Armstrong looks a little bit like DJU a, a year ago. Uh, fair criticism or, or just uh, too surface? I thought Tony Elliott was a pretty good offensive coordinator when Deshaun Watson was there. Sure was. Yeah. I, it, a lot of last season, Mike. Was a lot of it on DJU? Absolutely. But was a lot of it on an offensive line? that was subpar and receivers who were subpar a hundred percent. That was a, a total team effort on, on the downside. But, but you mentioned, you know, Tony Elliott being a, a former Clemson offensive coordinator. Could Saturday have been a more bleak day for former Dabo assistants? Ugh. Jeff Scott in South Florida. Brent Venables at Oklahoma, Tony Elliott at UVA saw their teams outscored 141 to 69. It's not good. It's not good. Yes. And I think Elliott and Scott are in positions where they'll have a little more patience than the folks do at Oklahoma. <laughs> right? I mean, 
it's not like they're doing a rebuild job there. When Lincoln Riley left for, for the Gold Coast, things were in pretty good shape. So uh, that's going to be interesting. David, before we go, I, I'm curious your take on this because you, you've seen a bunch of the, these matchups now. How do you split the difference right now? And, and they're going to play, I think, November 5th in Raleigh. But Wake and NC State, um, you know, NC State, great defensively, mm-hmm. um, good enough offensively. Wake Forest, great offensively, has been good enough defensively. Uh, who, who are you more impressed with at this point? Wake, just because, number one, they were – now, granted, it was at home, but, you know, Clemson is that that common opponent on consecutive weekends, by the way. And and I was at that game. Now, it, it, it may be, you know, my bias having – I witnessed that game in, in Winston-Salem and just and, – and I know that – Wake defensively wasn't great that afternoon, but it was such a good game and so entertaining. And Wake was literally just a play away from getting it done. And then to rebound from that and and beat FSU on the road, a ranked FSU team that had beaten LSU, a win that keeps looking better mm-hmm. and better as, as the Tigers can continue to win. So t- to me, I give Wake the edge. And you mentioned our ACC <clears throat> power poll that we do. I- I've ranked Wake number two behind Clemson in our poll this week. Yeah, that's going to be a fascinating matchup. The thing that, that I think is in some ways most encouraging if you're the Wolfpack is Devin Leary, who who we went into the year thinking he'd be you know one of those two or three best quarterbacks probably in the conference. He hasn't really been particularly special this year. You imagine he's still got that in him. So when I look at NC State, uh, yeah, right now, I who, who would I, you know, on a neutral field, I take Wake. But I think there's more to NC State still that they can get. And, and, and you know, we've seen some of the big-name quarterbacks, obviously Armstrong, Leary's in this category. Uh, Jerkovic seems like he broke out of it a little bit, being disappointed this year. I think there's still more for NC State with Devin Leary gets going. I, I think that's going to happen still. Mikey really misses Amezi. Yeah. Who wouldn't? He, he doesn't have the receivers that that he had a year ago, and you know Brennan Armstrong does, and you know Jerkovic does. So you know I think there's more in Devin Leary. It's just a matter of the folks around him being able to help him rediscover that 2021 mojo. Yeah, which was pretty fun to watch. We, uh, it'd be fun. It'd be, it'd be fun if Leary gets it back, if Dracovic all the way back. Certainly for us, watching every week, be fun if Brennan Armstrong gets it back. Well, we hope it was fun for you listening. Thanks for doing so. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pods. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times-Dispatch. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer and yours truly. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe, and please join David and me again next week.